Well, that's good. And it take your Bible, John chapter 16, the book of John chapter number 16. We continue our series, Why Christianity is Special, in the book of John, John chapter 16. Was that rain pleasant yesterday or what? Thank God for the rain. Amen. I got my sermon text for this evening service outside as my wife and I sat on the porch and watched it rain. She said, I think I better go let the chickens out. So she went and got the chickens and let them out. And they run around in the rain a little while. And I looked at some of those proud chickens, all wet feathers and drooping. And I said, I think tonight I'll preach on drooping wings. Come tonight, if you would please. I'll find my text for tonight's message in Ezekiel chapter number one, when it talks about the beast with the wings and flying at 186,000 miles per second, bringing glory to God. And when they stood, they let down their wings. Reminds you of any Baptist you've seen? Well, that's not this morning's message. That's tonight's message. And please come tonight because I haven't studied for this morning. <laughs> Amen. I don't know. You look like maybe you think I'm going to charge you or something this morning. In your Bible, John chapter number 16. I'd like to bring you a message out of John chapter 16. And the title of the message today is the truth. Nothing but the truth, so help me God. There's so much confusion today about what the truth really is. And I want to talk to you today about the truth. See this? Put my hand on the Bible. And if you don't believe I believe this is the Bible, you need to read the article in the bulletin. Hand on the Bible. I'm here today to tell you the truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me God. I'm not here to pacify your puny positions. I'm not here today to make you feel good. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to tell you the truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me God. Verse number five, if you would please, in your text, Jesus is just but a few hours from his death. He knows what kind of death he will die in just a matter of hours. The night before his crucifixion, he says this to his disciples, but now I go my way to him that sent me. This is John 16 and verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me and none of you asketh me whether goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. There's my text. 
There's my text. Nevertheless, though you are sorrowful, nevertheless, though you act as though things have come to an end, nevertheless, although you thought I came to set up a kingdom on the earth, I'm going back to my father. You're confused. You really don't know what's going on right now. Nevertheless, even though you act as though it's all over, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Boy, does this old world need the truth. Do you believe that this world needs the truth? But now this world does not want the truth. But look at this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Does this world need to know the truth concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment? If there's anything this world does not want to hear, it is the truth about sin, the truth about righteousness, and the truth about judgment. Now, come on, you guys. If you're a member of our church, say amen, even if you don't agree. Might encourage somebody to say it one of these days. Amen. Verse 9, of sin, because they believed not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Albeit when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he, shall, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. I'd like to leave off reading there if I could please. And I'd like to talk to you today about this subject, the truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. There is more confusion Concerning the Holy Spirit of God, more confusion in that area 
with that doctrine, that personality, than any other doctrine, I think, in the Word of God. Did you know today that if you are a believer, God lives in you? And you can't muster a smile? Did you have the slightest idea that when you got up this morning, you didn't get up by yourself? Somebody got up with you. Now, I know he's not a very big personality. He's not able to take care of your emotional problems. And I know he's not big enough to make the marital relationship adjustments. So just go ahead and get a divorce because your God is just not that big a God. Now, that God that lives in you, he really is not able to do that. You need to call a friend and share with a friend when you've got God in you. Is anybody here yet? I'd like to tell you the truth. Nothing but the truth. About the Holy Spirit of God. I've never seen so many wimpy, whooped out, beat down, discouraged, I ain't going to try it kind of Christians in my life. You don't need me over at your house shaking your hand. You got God in your heart. You, you don't need me to pump you along. Uh, you've got the pumper inside of you. Jesus looked at his disciples, discouraged and beat down. What are we going to do? Oh, Jesus is leaving us. Well, I guess I just better lay the truth on you, kids. And the truth is. It's for your benefit that I'm leaving. Boy, I'll tell you. You know, a Christian kind of reminds me of a fellow by the name of Ira Yates. You say, who in the world is that? Have no idea. Just saw his name this morning. Thought I'd lay it out there to you. Ira Yates was a West Texas rancher who bought several thousand acres of West Texas land to graze his sheep on during the Depression. It got tough. Grass was gone and nothing in the world. And Ira Yates began to live off of government subsidies, watching his pitiful little old sheep eating the meager grass on the ranch he had bought. Every day he gets up and wonders, what in the world is he going to do? Well, not for government subsidies, he would absolutely starve to death and his sheep would absolutely die. Had no idea what to do. One day, just out of the clear blue, an oil company came by and asked Mr. Yates if maybe he could... Drill a wildcat well on Mr. Yates's land. Mr. Yates signed the lease and they drilled 1115 feet and hit a gusher that produced 80,000 barrels of oil a day. 
they drill more wells. And some of those wells that they drilled produced twice as much oil as the original well. Many of them produced 115, 20, up to 160,000 barrels of oil a day. His ranch is known as the Yates Pool. In 1960, after oil had been pumped out for 30 years, the government tested and just one well showed that it still had the potential of producing 125,000 barrels a day after 30 years. That's not bad. In the year 2000, the field still had the 10 top producing oil wells in America. And to think, this one-time sheep herder owned it all. Setting on top of a mammoth oil supply living on government subsidies. A potential billionaire living on government subsidies. I ask you the question, what was Mr. Yates's problem? He didn't know his potential. He had no earthly idea the wealth that lay at his fingertips. I wonder if we have any Christians like that who has the potential power of the entire universe. Walking about as paupers, discouraged, paying psychologists a dollar a minute. When all along, within them, is all the potential, power, purpose of an eternal almighty God. You know our problem? We don't know the truth. Today, I'd like to introduce you. I'd like to lay my hand on the Bible and say, I'm witnessing to you today of the truth. The first thing I'd like to talk to you is the truth about the person. Look in verse number seven, if you would please, of John chapter 16. Look at John 16. And I'd like to tell you the truth about the person. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a pie in the sky kind of deal. Christianity is all about a person. And that person is introduced to you in verse number 7. Five times Jesus says, I. Five times in the verse, I, 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 I. If you ever take the I 
Jesus out of Christianity and your religion, you've got nothing left. Joshua Baptist Church is not about Gene Wolfenbarger. Joshua Baptist Church is not about you, although how important you are. This church is all about him and what he wants done and what he is doing through his people. Notice he says, I, 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 in verse number seven, he says, I tell you the truth. Why does he tell us the truth? Because he is the truth. Why is he telling us the truth? Because he is the light and in him is no darkness. Everything that Jesus says is a truth. He said, I tell you the truth. I go away. I go away. I will send him. I depart. Hey, listen to me. The truth of the matter is, this is all about Christ. Everything that goes on. By the way, If everything in your home was about Christ, you wouldn't disagree about so many dumb things. The problem you have in your home is I. I want this and I want that and it's my checkbook and that's my rug and it's your dog. You can have it. If it's eaten, you can have it. I, 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 I. Where if... Everything in your home was about him. Everything revolved around him. You were pleasing him and she was pleasing him. You wouldn't have no I problem because it all be about him. You understand that. You understand the truth about him. Notice the Bible says that the doctrine, uh, it describes a person. Notice the word expedient. Look at the word expedient, if you would please, in verse number number seven. Nevertheless, it is expedient, necessary, absolutely 100% necessary. It is expedient that I go away. Notice, it's all about him going away for you. Everything that Jesus did on the earth was for your good and God's glory. Every miracle that he performed was did not bring attention to himself. But Jesus always pointed to the glory of God, his father who sent him. And it was always for somebody else's good, but always for God's glory. Now the Holy Spirit is coming to this earth not. For any other reason but for our good and God's glory. Notice if you would please, I'll show you a little bit. It's expedient. It describes the principles. You, us, we, the believers, the saved. It's necessary that he goes away. Because if he does not go away. Now mind you, Jesus is one person and he is not omnipresent. Jesus could be at one place at one time and that's it. Because he confined himself to a human body. And for 33 years now, or for three and a half years, our Lord has been with his disciples Every hour, every day, eating with them, 
preaching with them, teaching them, fellowship with them, setting the example of what they should be. Now, it's expedient that he goes away. Now, I wonder why. That brings me to the next point, the truth about a plan. God, listen, God has a plan for you. Now, the problem is we think we're doing the planning. And the problem is you are doing the planning. But what you don't know is, is God has a plan. And it's expedient that Jesus go away, that God's plan may continue. And God's plan is that the Holy Spirit would come. In your Bible, if you got just a minute, turn to Acts chapter 2. And I want to show you God has a plan. Nothing. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Has it ever occurred to you that God never did have a second thought? God has a divine plan. The plan was for Jesus to come and pay the sin debt for you. Jesus came and loved you this much. God's plan was that Jesus would come and pay the sin debt. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. In God's plan, now it's time for Jesus to raise from the dead, ascend to the Father. And guess what? He's not going to leave us by ourselves. And God has a plan. Notice in Acts chapter 2, and I read for you just a, a verse or two. Acts chapter number 2. Look over about verse number 21. The Bible said, got it now. Him, talking about Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because he was not possible that it should be holden of, of it. So God has a plan, and the plan was that God would become flesh. Now, I don't understand that at all. I have no inclination, do not want to explain the incarnation. But God became a man. Because God in his existence in the fear of the spirit, you and I cannot identify with that. We call it a ghost. We're afraid of it. We make movies of it. Nobody likes a haunted house. God is a ghost. Ah, ain't that nice? God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in truth and in spirit. God is a spirit. 
We are human beings. Spirit, a realm of existence. Humanity, a sphere of existence. Humanity, we can see. Spirit, we cannot see. Humanity, we can identify. Fingers, hands, legs, face. Spirit, wow, what's that? How do we? How do we? Who are humans, who are natural, how can we identify with the spirit? God has a dilemma, so God has a plan. God says, tell you what, let's do. Let's go down there and take on us a body and we will dwell among them and they will see us and behold our glory and they'll all want to be saved. And by the way, we've got a problem down there, Adam and Eve have become sinners. We need a sacrifice without spot, without blemish. And in God's plan, God became a man, Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he walked for three and a half years on this earth. And just a few hours from the right end of the text, He's going to die on the cross for mine and your sin. You said nobody loves me. Oh, yes, they do. Jesus loves you this much. He died for you. You say, well, preacher, I'm mad at you. Why would you get mad at me? I didn't die for you. Well, preacher, you're hanging up my religion. Why should I hang up your religion? I got nothing to do with it. Jesus did it all. You know why you get mad at me? Because you can see me. You can identify with me. I'm God's representative. You get mad at me, you get mad at God, so you get mad at me. God had a plan. And now the plan of God is that Jesus would die. He would be buried. Stay there three days and three nights, and up from the grave he arose. And just 50 days later he would stand And be speaking to the disciples and he would ascend into heaven. But when he ascended, somebody else descended. I will not leave you comfortless. Four times, comfortless. Four times, Jesus said, you need a comforter. Four times in two chapters, you need a comforter. Four times. And some of you look like you need one right now. You say, well, if I'd known he'd been that hard-headed, I'd never have married him. You need a comforter. You don't need a counselor. You don't need a guide. You don't need a marriage. What you need is a good dose of the comforter of God. What you're doing is you're sitting on a gold mine, bless your heart, living off of this world's subsidies when you've got the potential of Almighty God living within your being. Man up. Woman up. Cowboy down. Whatever you got to do, bless God, you need to know you're sitting on a gold mine. You have all the power of God within your being and you're walking around like a pauper living off this world's subsidies. God help us. 
God has a plan. It's a deliberate plan. Verse 7. It's expedient that I go away. That's what he said. It's expedient if I go away. He's not messing around here. I will send him to you. That's God's plan. Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the place where they were seated. God's plan was that when Jesus leaves, the Holy Ghost would come. There won't be no more Pentecost. You can have all the Pentecost Sundays you want. There won't be no more tongues. By the way, somebody asked me the other day, said, can you speak in tongues at your church? I said, you can if you got cloven fire sitting on your shoulder. I don't see no cloven tongues. You keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I don't need another tongue. I'm having trouble controlling this one. Can you say amen? God had a plan. God had a man. Let me leave this with you. What time is it? Oh, can't see the clock. That's fine. Let me tell you the truth about the man. Truth about the plan. And the truth about the purpose. Purpose. God has a purpose. Do you realize that God has a purpose? This is just not another Sunday you showed up. I bet you thought this morning when you walked in the church door, God said, wish I'd known this coming. Do you know that God knew your problem before you left the house? Do you know that all of eternity is revolved around God helping you with your problem? And he sent Jesus to pay your sin debt. Then he sent the Holy Ghost to inform you about what he has done. The purpose. And when he has come... He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. You don't hear much preaching on sin, righteousness, and judgment, do you? I bet you never heard old Smiley from down south preach on sin, righteousness, and judgment. See, you can't preach on that like this. Say, so come to reprove your sin. <laughs> this world don't want the truth. Because the truth is directly opposed to the spirit of this world. 
Do you like the word reprove? It's a biblical word. It's not politically correct, but it's a biblical word. To prove. To reprove. To convict. If you're on trial... And they convict you, that means you're guilty. He came, not to die on a cross. Jesus came to do that. Jesus is now gone. And he sent somebody else to this old world to remind you of what Jesus did. Why Jesus did it. And what's going to happen if you don't do it? I thought that was kind of plain. Notice if you would please, I'll read for you in verse number 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. The only sin in the world. That's going to send anybody to hell is the sin of unbelief. The blood of Jesus Christ will wash all of your sins away. You can leave this place as white as wool and as pure as snow if you please. If you confess and turn from your sin, trust Christ, it's all over with. Of righteousness. Because I go to my father. And you see me no more. The Holy Spirit. Reminds us. Of the life of Jesus Christ. That was perfectly righteous. And now he's come to reprove this world. Of sin. And set up for everyone to see. An example of righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ. Though your sins be red like scarlet. They can be. All of our righteousness is what? As filthy rags to God. Of righteousness. Of judgment. Because he hath judged the prince of this world. Sometimes we're feeling low. And think there's no hope. The Holy Spirit walks into our life and begins to smile and says, Hey, remember Calvary? Satan is defeated. He's a dead duck, buddy. He's headed for a train wreck and Calvary is when he hit it. Is that not so? And the Holy Spirit is here today to remind us, to convict us, to convince us that we are sinners. If I want to know if Billy's a sinner or not, I'm not going to ask him. I'm going to ask Mary. And she'll tell me he's rotten to the core. Amen. If I want to find out if Philip is a sinner, I'll just watch him until a couple of minutes. And the Holy Spirit is here today not to enable you to speak in another language you don't understand. Not to slay you in the spirit so he can wallow around like a bunch of hogs in a trough. He come to reprove. 
to convict, to convince us that there's no way out except through Jesus Christ. That we're all sin and come short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one. And he came, ladies and gentlemen, to convict us of sin and to set before us a perfect living example of righteousness in Jesus Christ. And when we accept him, we accept his righteousness. He accepts our sin. Dear God, that's... If I was a Methodist sitting in a service like this, I'd shout. Dear Lord, the truth is, we got a better deal than the apostles had. Jesus could be one place at one time. The Holy Ghost is everywhere at all the time. When you go to work tomorrow, the Holy Ghost, the power of the universe is within your being. Ask him in the morning. Could you produce a smile, please? And would be tough. And tomorrow, instead of complaining about the job, Holy Spirit of God, help me to be thankful that I have a job. And tomorrow, instead of complaining about my wife, why don't we just look in the mirror and Holy Spirit of God convince us we got a pretty good deal. Setting on an eternal gold mine. Setting on a mammoth supply of happiness and peace and joy. And we can't muster three services a week. Because we got a job. Excuse me while I go outside and puke. Are you saved? Anybody here saved, say amen. Do you know where God lives today if you're saved? What? Know you not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost which you have of Him. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. Well, preacher, I'm mad at you. Get mad at the Holy Ghost. I'd just like to close with the truth about his purpose. Notice in your Bible, the Holy Spirit is referred to as he, not it. Folks ask me, have I got it? Yeah, I'm trying to get rid of it. Holy Spirit is not a it. He is the third person of the Godhead. You say, well, preacher, I don't know. I want you to just look at some facts for just a minute. Listen, if you would, please, about the facts. The Bible said when he has come, 
He will reprove. He is a person co-equal with God. Notice, when Christ was born, the Spirit is His forerunner. When Christ is baptized, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, bears witness. When Christ is tempted, the Holy Spirit leads Him up. Christ descends, the Spirit ascends. Ha <laughs> ha! What great things are there in the character of God that are not found in the character of the Holy Spirit. Can you mention one character trait that God the Father has, that God the Son has, that God the Holy Spirit does not have? What titles that belong to them that do not belong to the Holy Spirit? Listen to me for a minute. He is called the Spirit of God. He is called the Spirit of Christ. He is called the mind of Christ, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of truth, the spirit of liberty, the spirit of wisdom, the understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of godliness, the spirit of fear. God, Lord, how mercy, how blessed we are today to have the third member of the eternal Godhead. As our continual companion. Wow. He's here. And he has the problem of removing all doubt that you're a sinner and guilty before God. I've had folks tell me, well, preacher, I'm not a sinner. I said, did you know lying is a sin? Well, it's just a little lie and God forgives lies. I want you to know today, the Holy Spirit is here to remove all doubt in your mind that you're a sinner. Bible said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law of the prophets. Now look at me real good. Do you love your neighbor As you love yourself. Do you love God with all of your heart? All of your strength? Of course we don't. The biggest liar in the world I know. Would say I love God more than I love anything else in this world. If you'll listen to the Holy Spirit for just a minute, he'll remove all doubt in your mind that you're a sinner and the wages of sin is death. That's what the Holy Spirit's here for. You say, you're once doing the talking, yeah, but I'm not the one talking to you right now. Kids, well, mama, I ain't going to do this or that. Sin. Rebellion. Today, 
every one of you kids are just like me. You're a sinner. Have you ever noticed nobody had to teach you how to do wrong? Has mama ever gotten a belt and say, now you better go out and do wrong today. <laughs> how many of you kids ever had to take 10 easy lessons on how to tell a lie? Raise your hand. Oh, you mean I'm talking to a bunch of liars? Did you know that lying is sin? And did you know that sinners can't go to heaven apart from somebody paying for your sin? And Jesus did that on the cross. You don't ever have to face your sin again with God. You come to Christ through faith. And all your sins are gone. I could be the best speaker in the world and not convince this crowd of that. But I can say the truth. And the Holy Spirit of God has come for the sole purpose to convince that crowd right over there that they're sinners. Mama and Daddy might say, oh, my kid, they're a little angel. Yeah, but when they get outside, they lose their halo, grow horns, and long tail. <laughs> Just like Mom and Daddy. Amen. Amen. And the Holy Spirit is here today. Glory be to God. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left his crimson stain. But Jesus' blood has washed it white as snow. Now Jesus is gone. But he didn't leave you by yourself. He sent a comforter. A comforter that would reprove this world of its rotten sinfulness. And reprove this world of its lack of righteousness. And reprove this world for rejecting he who hung on the cross and defeated the devil head on. Can anybody say amen? amen. Now that's the truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me God. And I'll bet you if you're not saved right now where we are there's a still small voice knocking on your heart. If you're out of God's will and you're not doing what you ought to, listen to that still small voice of your honey. It says, you need to get this thing right. You say, all right, you preacher. No, I'm here. Somebody's knocking on your heart you can't see. The Bible said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come in, sup with him and he with me. I remember the night 40-some years ago when he knocked on my heart. Oh, what a revolution he made in my life. What a transition he made when Jesus Christ forgave me my sins and opened my heart's door and the Holy Spirit of God moved in. Oh, yes, Christianity is an inside job. It's God working on the inside. Can anybody say amen? amen? Oh, glory be to God for the blessed Holy Ghost of God, the personal plan and the purpose.
May I warn you for just a minute? God said in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, speaking to Noah, Noah and his crowd, I think a generation probably about like this one, where every thought and imagination was evil. Have you watched television lately? Dear God, trying to find something wholesome to watch, something to listen to. Wholesome is almost a thing of the past. A caution, please. God said in Genesis 6 and verse 3, My spirit will not always strive with man. Oh, blessed day when he knocks on your heart. And there's still emotions and tenderness and wanting to do what he wants done. Oh, blessed day when he knocks on your heart and tears begin to stream and emotions begin to flood. And oh, blessed day when God stopped by your house and knocked on your door. And you blatantly said, no. No, I don't want what you've got, Holy Ghost. No, I don't believe Jesus is who he said he was. And you slam the door in his face. Sunday after Sunday, that happens. Until one Sunday, it no longer happens. There's no tears now. There's no smile now. Everything's mechanical. When's he going to get through? The idiot knows there's a ball game on. If you were the Holy Ghost, would you knock on that door? Time and time and time again you reject. And God knocks and God woos and God... The Holy Spirit pleads and God reproves and God convicts and God's trying to convince. And we are so caught up in this wicked, stinking, ugly world. We say, no, 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 get away. I don't want you. Now I preach and your face is like concrete. Now I preach. And our church is dead, you say. No. Holy Ghost still alive. He just knows when it knocks on your door, there ain't nobody home. And now he's quit knocking. I could preach the same message as I preached 20 years ago. And you sit there and say, I wonder if he's going to get done today or not. When you watch a ball game on television for three hours praying for overtime. He knocks. You say no. He loves and you say, I don't want it. He beckons and he calls and you say Not me. Then you come to the service. And he no longer knocks. No tears. No emotions. 
no feeling. It's just church. Just church. And when he's come, he reproved the world of sin. And listen, because they believe not on me. I don't know, but John said, there is a sin unto death. And if that sin unto death is not the sin of rejecting time and time and time again, the knocking, the wooing, the convicting, the reproving of the Holy Spirit convincing you that you're lost and on your way to hell and that Jesus is the answer. And you reject it and reject it and reject it. Tell me, if you would please, could that be the sin under death? If he should knock on your heart today, you're blessed of all people on the earth. And if he knocks and reproves you of something, convicts you of something, convinces you of something, wow, you ought to be at this altar. Because his spirit, who do you think you monk in with? Who do you think? During the invitation in a minute, who do you think you're going to be monkeying with? Your next door neighbor, your ex-husband, your principal of high school? No, you're monkeying with Almighty God. That to me looked like it all be serious business. The Bible said, I close, verse 14, he shall glorify me. For is she of mine, and show and shall show it to you. I think the best way I could close and describe the Holy Spirit is when we begin to talk to the architects about this building. And I told the build, I told the architect, I said, I just don't want a building sitting on that property. That would impress folks. I want a building on that property. Where if anybody's given directions. To any place in Joshua. It would be. From that colonial building. Church. Joshua Baptist Church. You get there from the here or there. And I tried to figure out a way. For it to be noticeable in the day and the night. Then we put big floodlights out in the parking lot. And when you drive by at night, how many of you notice the floodlights? The floodlights are not put there to be noticeable. The floodlights are there to illuminate the building. 
And when you drive by, you don't see the floodlights. You see the building. The Holy Spirit is here. Not to be seen. But to illuminate the one that hung on the cross. You got that? The Holy Spirit is here to show us His glory, His righteousness, His sinlessness, His holiness, His love. The Holy Spirit did not come to be noticed. He came to illuminate and glorify and reveal the one that hung on that cross. Can anybody say amen?